This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. We are continuing or concluding this sermon series based on the questions you submitted, the Glad You Asked sermon series. It's our last one to be talking about sex and gender, and so let's ask God to bless our time together. Lord God, we thank you for gathering us around your word. We pray that you would speak to us through your word. We pray that everything that we would do and say would be in line with your word. Teach us how you want us to to live, what you want us to believe. Help us to leave here stronger Christians than the ones that came. And don't let anything I'm doing get in the way of your spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Life is a tug of war. At least this is what it feels like. Pastor Bill, would you help me with something real quick? I'm going to play a little tug of war here. Who's going to win? (laughs) So it seems like right now in society, everything is a tug of war. That you have to pick a side on every issue and that your job is to pull as hard as you can to the other side. And that's especially true when it comes to gender and sexuality. It seems like today there's only two sides. You have to pick a side and your job is to pull as hard as you can and pull the people over to your side. Thanks, Pastor Bill. You did a good job. And so it's no surprise that you asked the question in this Glad You Asked sermon series, you submitted the question, how do we support people with different views on sexuality? It's an important question because it, seems like nobody knows how to answer it. Seems like either you're on one side or the other. Either you love God's word and you're going to hold on to this side of the tug of war and you're going to pull with all of your might, or you love LGBTQ people and you love the community and maybe you yourself are same-sex attracted and so you're on this side and you're going to pull with all of your might. And so... What side of the tug-of-war are you on? Well, maybe uh, you're on the side of, I love God's word. You, you grew up inside of the church. You love the Bible. You love what God has to say. And when you open up the Bible, you see quite a few things that the Bible says about sex and gender. In fact, it begins on the first page of the Bible. On the first page of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, it says this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So right away, in God's perfect world, in the beginning, there were, there's two genders that God created human beings, male and female. And he created human beings for a purpose. The next verse says this. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful. And increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so these two humans, the male and the female, were to come together to make more humans, to increase and fill the earth and and to subdue it and rule over it. That was their job. Well, how were they going to do that? That was What God decided to design was marriage. And so on the next page of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, it says this. 
The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And so God designed that the word suitable is the Hebrew word for to be the opposite or to complete or uh, uh, to, to kind of face that person. And so the man could not fulfill this purpose of filling the earth and increasing all by himself. God had to make a counterpart, somebody to be with him, a woman. And together, because she is his opposite, they can come together and make life. And that happens in what God designed in marriage. At the end of Genesis chapter 2, it says that, that after God made the woman, he brought her to the man. They were married, and then he defines marriage this way. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, throughout the rest of the Bible, they keep going back to this verse as the definition of marriage, where a man leaves his father and mother, is united to his wife, and they become one unified person, physically, emotionally, sexually, and have the gift of children. That marriage is, according to God, a lifelong union between one man and one woman. That was its design. But that didn't last very long. When you keep reading the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, it says that human beings, instead of living under God's design and accepting what God's word has to say, they ate from the tree. It's a way of saying they decided to um, define good and evil on their own terms. They decided that they wanted to be God. They wanted to be in charge. They wanted to call the shots. And that definition or that, that event of them trying to take the place of God, that's what brought all of the problems into our world today. All of the division, all the violence, all of the evil, all of the sexual sin, all of the, all of the damage in families, all the things that we don't like is because human beings define good and evil on their own terms. It got so bad that even after God chose a certain people to be with them, the Israelites, and he was going to walk with them and be with them, there was all sorts of sexual sin going on inside of their community. And so God wanted to make this covenant, this pact with the Israelites. And so God gave them the Ten Commandments. That was their contract, their terms of agree agreement. And then Moses, with God's help, expanded on the Ten Commandments in the book of Leviticus. A lot of times we don't even read the book of Leviticus or think about the book of Leviticus because it's all full of um, sacrificial laws or ceremonial laws or clean, unclean laws. But in Leviticus 18, Moses gives sexual laws, how they were to treat each other and how they were to follow what God's word says about sex and sexuality. And in that chapter, Leviticus 18, it prohibits um, incest, it prohibits pedophilia, it prohibits all sorts of sexual sin, bestiality, um, all those kinds of things. And then it also says in verse 22, do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That's detestable. Now, again, some people might write that off. Oh, that was the Old Testament. That was Leviticus. Um, but that was Jesus's Bible. Jesus followed these laws. Jesus thought they were good. 
And when Jesus comes on the scene, he doesn't do away with those sexual laws. In fact, he raises the bar. In Matthew chapter 5, he's giving what's called the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. And what he means by that is, you've heard the religious leaders of the day, they taught on the law of Moses. They said, don't commit adultery. That just means, you know, don't sleep around on your spouse. Don't don't cheat on her. But Jesus says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right eye causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. So what Jesus does is he takes all those sexual laws from the Old Testament, what God says about marriage and sexuality, and he doesn't lower the the bar. He raises the bar. He says, actually, I don't want you even to look at a woman lustfully. That marriage is, or that sex is only to be between one man and one woman inside of a marriage. Now, someone might respond, well, Jesus here is not exactly talking about homosexuality. And that's true. He doesn't bring up homosexuality because it really wasn't up for discussion in Jesus' day in Palestine. You see, um, in Jesus' day, there were all sorts of different Jewish religious groups. Uh, There were the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes. And inside of those religious groups, there was also different teachers and different schools of thought. And they disagreed on all sorts of things. They disagreed on marriage and divorce and politics and money and government, all those things. And they would always have these little debates. And they tried to get Jesus to enter into those debates with them and catch him to see which camp he followed. But there was one thing that was never up for debate even in all those different Jewish communities and schools of thought, that marriage was always between one man and one woman, and that homosexual practices were always seen as against God's design, as a sin against God. And so that's why Jesus never brings it up. Because for 500 years before Jesus and 500 years after Jesus, all the Jewish leaders condemned it as a practice. Well, things changed in the next generation when the Apostle Paul came on the scene. He became a Christian, and he started doing missionary work in the Roman territories, in Greek and Roman culture. And in Greek and Roman culture, homosexual practice was very common. There was much more um, sexual fluidity amongst the, the Greeks and the Romans. In fact, when you read ancient Roman texts, there was this idea that that sex between a man and a boy was just part of the upbringing process. It was just part of the discipleship process. That was just part of the culture, and that was seen as something as a good thing. And so there's all sorts of variety in the Roman culture. So when Paul started doing ministry in that Roman culture, and they had all these different practices, he said this when he was writing to the Romans. He said, because of this, this lack of faith disregarding God, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves 
the due penalty for their error. So the Apostle Paul says that this is a sin against God, these acts. And then he says that they receive um, judgment from God. The Apostle Paul then goes on when he's preaching in Corinth. He started church in Corinth, a, a Greek culture, Greek area that, again, had homosexuals in his congregation, people with same-sex attraction, and not only that, people who were actually living these lifestyles out. And when he brought them to faith, it doesn't necessarily say that they stopped having same-sex attraction, but they did leave that homosexual lifestyle. This is what it says when he wrote to the Corinthians. Or do you not know that the wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So again, the Apostle Paul says, some of you were this. Some of you not only had a sexual orientation, but you were living that lifestyle out. That's who you were, and now you live a different lifestyle. Maybe they're living a celibate life or, or a different lifestyle, but they were no longer walking in the ways of their culture. And so you see, as you read through the Bible from beginning to end, the Bible says that sex is to be between one man and one woman. And homosexual practice is a sin against God. And for much of my life, especially coming out of seminary, I knew all these Bible passages, and I really held to this side of the tug of war. I mean, held on with all of my might. And so I remember when I was coming out of seminary, just started being a pastor in Florida. I had some, some friends who came out as gay, and I had all these Bible passages in my mind. And I remember when I saw them on Facebook or on social media, I sent them emails and reached out to them, writing down all these passages on why what they were doing was sinful. I was really trying to hold on to this side of the tug of war and pull them over to my side and what I was thinking. But here's what I've learned over the last decade or so. As I've talked to more people who are gay, who are um, LGBTQ+, the, the more I've talked to people, the more I've read, the more I interact, I hear other stories like this. Uh, people who say things like this, I was born this way. I didn't choose this. I didn't think about this. I didn't want this. When I reached puberty and I'm a, everybody else was was started to look at girls, and I started to look at boys. And I didn't, I didn't ask for this. I didn't want this. I was just born this way. That's just what happened. When I reached puberty, this is, this is who I am. And then I've read and talked to people who say, you know, my desires have not changed despite all my efforts. I know people who've said, you know, I went to therapy. I talked to my pastor. I read the Bible. I prayed all the prayers. I tried to pray the gay way, and I'm still attracted the same sex. And so I know, I have friends and people I know who've decided this. They said, I feel fulfilled and happy in a same-sex monogamous relationship. That's where I land. That's what I believe. 
And so you start to hear these kind of stories, and, and they're people that are in your family, they're people in, in your neighborhood, the people you work, and maybe this is you. Maybe you are same-sex attracted. Maybe you're gay. And so you hear those stories, and all of a sudden you start holding to the other side of the tug-of-war. And maybe you hold on so tight on that side that you drop this other side of the tug-of-war, and you no longer believe what the Bible says about sex and sexuality. So what do you do? Let me ask you again, you know, what side are you on? Do you love God's word? Are you going to hold on to this side? Or do you love the LGBTQ community and people? Which side do you, do you choose? What side of the tug of war are you on? Well, Jesus was asked that same question, or a similar question. He was asked to pick. Um, as I mentioned before, there was all these, always these arguments among these Jewish communities as to what school of thought you followed. And so they were always trying to trap Jesus to try to pick a side. And this is what, what happened in Matthew chapter 22. It said, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, one of them an expert in the law, and tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? In other words, they were trying to get Jesus to pick one of the commandments. And they were hoping that if you would pick one of the commandments, it would be to the exclusion of another commandment. They wanted him to pick a side. And they thought, if you stand up for this commandment, well, then you're going to downplay this other commandment. And they wanted to trap him. They wanted him to pick a side. But Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so what Jesus was saying is, I'm not going to pick. I'm going to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm going to love what God's word says, and I'm going to love all people. I'm going to hold tension. Jesus didn't want to join into a tug-of-war and win a tug-of-war. Jesus was okay having the tension of a tightrope and to walk this tightrope of love. And how did he do that? Well, as I mentioned, when he talked about sex and sexuality, he had a high view of what God said. He hold, held people to a high standard. And not only held other people, but he held himself to a pure standard. He was a single, celibate, sexually pure man. And he lived that lifestyle. And he also taught other people how to live sexually pure lives, that sex was between one man and one woman inside of a marriage. And every time he taught on it, he held a high view of the law. And yet, when he taught that, he also had a way of partying with the prostitutes. And the religious leaders couldn't figure this out. That he would also be found eating and hanging out with the prostitutes and the sexually immoral. And he was okay holding this tension. In fact, he lived it in a great, the greatest way possible. He held on to God's righteousness God's purity, God's holiness in one hand, and he held on to a sinful world, all of us, in the other hand, and he stretched out his arms in that tension to die on the cross for all of us, to bring us all into his family. So that 
all of us who repent and believe in Jesus are welcomed into his family. And so I think that helps us as we are thinking about what does this mean? What does God want us to know? Here's what the Bible is teaching us as we follow Jesus. That we are not trying to win a tug of war. We're not trying to win a tug of war. We are trying to walk the tightrope of love. To hold on to this tension and then to walk in this tension, walk on the tightrope of God's love. Now that's, that's really challenging to be able to love people and not always accept what they're doing. But, but that's what we always do. When Jesus tells us to love our neighbors ourselves, we know what it means to love our neighbors ourselves because we know what it means to love ourselves. There's things about ourselves that we don't like. We still love ourselves. And so that's what it means to love your neighbor itself. And I think that helps us answer our, our question, the question that you asked in the Glad You Asked sermon series. How do we support people with different views on sexuality? Like Jesus, we hold on to God's word and we hold on to God's people, even and especially people in the LGBTQ community. We hold on to both. Because just think of you, what, you, what you lose if you don't. If you say, man, I love these people. These are my friends. These are my neighbors. These are my family members. And I'm going to hold on to them at the expense of, you know what, that Bible is just an old ancient book. I'm not going to follow that anymore. It's just outdated. And you let go of that. Well, yeah, you might lose some of those restrictions when it comes to marriage and sexuality. But what else do you lose? You lose your savior. You lose purpose. You lose in your identity. You lose heaven. You lose a sense of meaning in your life. You lose your creator. You lose so much. And yet some of us would say, you know what? I'm just going to hold on to God's word and I'm just going to discount all those people and ignore all those people and not think about all those people. And I'm going to hold on to God's word at the expense of love. And Paul says that the goal of our faith is love. Paul says the only things that counts is faith expressing itself in love. So we have to hold on to both. But what does that look like? Well, I'm still learning, as I told you. I've, I've, I've got lots of bad examples of things I've done wrong. Um, so I can't teach you on all the right ways, but I would say, look at Jesus. Jesus always held that tension. Jesus had a way of loving what God's word said, holding himself and others to what God's word said, and yet still parting with the prostitutes, still loving people and accepting people and being with people and walking with people at the same time. There's also a couple other more contemporary examples that I have found very helpful. There's a resource that you can, you can um, access by typing resource to 94,000. And in that resource, you'll find a couple books. One of them is um, Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert by Rosaria Champagne Butterfield. Rosaria Champagne Butterfield, she tells her story. And Rosaria was a, um, a lesbian professor, tenured professor at Syracuse University, and she taught queer theory at this university. And while she was there, um, she really fought for gay rights, gay legislation, all those kinds of things. And one day there was a gay pride event, and there were some Christians that were holding up signs, you know, gay people go to hell, that kind of thing. 
And she wrote an article, an, um, an opinion article in the local newspaper saying, you know, why do Christians care so much about what we do in our bedrooms? And because she wrote that article, she got lots of mail back. And she put her mail in, in two stacks. She's a very organized person. She had fan mail and hate mail. And then she got a piece of mail that she couldn't put in one or the, one or the other categories. It was from a pastor named Ken. And this pastor invited her over for dinner. And over the next two years, he started a friendship and walked with her and loved her and cared about her. And when her and her uh, girlfriend were out of town, Pastor Ken would watch their dogs for her. And uh, when, they needed, when, when he made bread, he would drop a loaf of bread over at her house. And they just had a very good friendship over two years. And after two years, she became a Christian and she left her lesbian lifestyle. She left her tenure position at Syracuse. And then actually in the years to come, she actually married and adopted uh, a few children. And now she's a writer. There's another story that I thought was really helpful that kind of shows how to walk this line of love to live in this tension. Um, it's a little over a decade ago, I don't know, almost 15 years ago, uh, we were living on the north side of Milwaukee and we're getting to know our neighbors. And I told our neighbor that I was studying to be a pastor. And she said, oh, that's great. We're Christians too. And actually, my husband just became a Christian. And I said, oh, how did that happen? And she said, well, he's a police officer. And he was working security at a gay pride event. And while he was there, he saw a pastor there that was preaching about the Bible and what God says about sex and sexuality. And people were throwing things at him and mad that he was there and those kinds of things. And then the police officer went back to his car at the end of the event and noticed that there was a group of lesbian women who couldn't get their car started. And he noticed that it was this pastor who was being ridiculed, who was being hated by this group, he went over there and started their car for them and took care of them and made sure they got on their way safely. And that police officer said, if that's what Christianity is all about, I'm in. And maybe the, the final example is the journey of those people who have same-sex attraction, who are, who, have, um, who are gay. I know quite a few people who, who like, as I mentioned before, said, you know, this is just who I am. This is, who, this is what I'm feeling and they have decided, I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to walk with the Lord. And some of them are living a celibate life. Some of them are trying to navigate that the best that they can. And I want to help you if that's who you are. If you're same-sex attracted, if you're gay, if you're walking through this. I don't know why you feel this way. I don't know why you're gay. I don't, we don't know. There, all the science has been tried and nobody's found a gay gene and nobody's figured out if it's nature or nurture or why some people are different than others. We don't know why somebody is gay. But I promise I won't judge you. I promise I'll walk with you. I'll promise I'll listen to your story. And if you are open to it, we'll open up God's word and try to follow what Jesus has to say. I know this is probably the most challenging thing in our society today because everybody wants to pick a side. Either you're for or against. Either you love the Bible or you love gay people. And you have to pick a side. But I think you can live in the tension. I think you can walk the tightrope of love because we know at least one person did, Jesus Christ. And he walked that tightrope of love 
for you. And so, don't let go of either side. Hold on to God's word. Love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And let that love express itself in how you treat people, especially those in the LGBT community. Hold on to God and hold on to God's people because God's holding on to you. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that you would guide us and help us to navigate our changing culture. Lead us to love people who, especially those who are same-sex attracted. Lord God, help us to love your word. And Lord God, I pray especially for those who are gay, who are struggling, who are trying to figure out what it means to follow you. Give us all your Holy Spirit and lead us to follow you. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.